Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. We begin this morning in San Diego, where a federal judge has struck down California's decades-old ban on assault weapons. The decision has drawn outrage from statewide officials, including Governor Gavin Newsom and Attorney General Rob Bonta, who made clear his office plans to appeal the ruling. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. In his decision, U.S. District Judge Roger Benitez in San Diego said the ban violates the constitutional right to bear arms. He compared the AR-15 rifle to the Swiss Army knife and said both are good for home and battle. San Jose Mayor San Licardo slammed that decision. That lands someone in this intellectual territory somewhere between oblivious and disingenuous with 40,000 gun-related deaths every year. It is difficult to fathom how the solution to that problem is more guns and not fewer. But Carter says he expects San Jose and other cities to join in supporting the state's efforts to fight this ruling. For the California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Well, another labor group is backing Governor Newsom in the recall effort. The California Teachers Association's State Council of Education, its top governing body, voted to support Newsom over the weekend. The CTA is the state's largest teachers union. In a statement, Union President E. Toby Boyd said while they didn't always agree with the governor and his approach to reopening schools, they feel he is committed to students and public education. Newsom's anti-recall campaign has reported more than $1.7 million in donations from unions. California has been living under an official state of emergency since the very beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, and Governor Newsom has had almost total authority to run the state as he sees fit in order to guide California through the coronavirus outbreak. But is it now time for Newsom to hand back some of his unilateral powers? KQED's politics reporter Katie Orr takes a look. There have been very few upsides to the COVID-19 pandemic, but takeout cocktails might be one of them. Last week in San Francisco, Governor Gavin Newsom announced restaurants would be allowed to keep offering cocktails to go and be able to maintain expanded outdoor seating through the end of the year. To allow these businesses to expand their footprint and expand their opportunity to recover from this pandemic and moreover to create new business opportunities in the future. The move is just one of dozens Newsom has taken on his own without legislative approval since the beginning of the pandemic. 
The governor declared a state of emergency in California on March 4, 2020. The move gave him wide latitude to act alone on issues he believed would help protect the state and its residents during the crisis. For instance, Newsom implemented a stay-at-home order. He protected renters who were affected by COVID-19. He spent hundreds of millions of dollars with limited legislative oversight. Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson says Newsom was appropriately aggressive as the virus spread. You can't say when we have exponential growth in a pandemic, I think we should all convene and talk about it and go through the committee process and vote. But come June 15th, capacity restrictions, physical distancing, and mask mandates for the fully vaccinated will largely be lifted. And Levinson says it may be time for Newsom's emergency powers to be lifted along with them. The whole idea behind separation of powers is we don't trust anyone that much. We don't want to give the so-called sovereign, the governor, too much power because they'll just keep taking and taking and taking. Are we there No, but are we at the place where we have to say, if we can resume life as normal, then we can resume our government as normal? Yes. Republicans in Sacramento have long thought Newsom should give up some of his emergency powers. State Senator Melissa Melendez told San Diego television station KUSI last February that while some safety protocols should remain, it was time for the state of emergency to end. She introduced legislation at the end of 2020 to do just that. Take away this kind of one-man rule over the state and allow counties to determine what is best for their county, whether that is opening schools or opening businesses. Melendez's measure quickly stalled in the Democratic-controlled Senate. Newsom has largely beaten any legal challenges to his authority, with the exception of limits placed on indoor religious services. And legislative Democrats have not been in any hurry to reclaim their power. Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon told KQED he thinks things will soon go back to normal. When the state reopens on June 15th, we anticipate that a lot of that stuff will recede. We, the Assembly and the legislature more generally, obviously, we think we have a role in governance. And yeah, I mean, the emergency goes away. It's time for the emergency powers to go away. However, there's currently no vote scheduled in either the Assembly or the Senate to end the state of emergency. Newsom could end it himself. In fact, the law requires him to at, quote, the earliest possible date that conditions warrant. But for now, at least, Newsom says he'll keep the state of emergency in place past June 15th. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Newsom's office says the state of emergency gives California access to critical federal funds that help pay for services like COVID vaccinations and testing. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. 
visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. We Californians have a lot to worry about as we head into the summer months. Wildfires, drought, and whether we'll have enough power to weather it all. To understand if we're ready, I've been working with two students taking a course on energy regulation at UC Berkeley's Goldman School of Public Policy. Joanna Guardias and Dominic Moscatello join me now. And to understand whether our power grid is prepared for the year ahead, you've spent a lot of time looking at what happened during a heat wave last year in August. That's when California's first rolling blackouts in almost two decades were called by KISO. That's the state's grid operator. So, Joanna, starting with you, what did you guys learn? Mm -hmm. So last summer, the operator of the state's grid allowed for energy to be sent out of California while we didn't have enough for those inside of the state. And as a result, you had thousands of Californians left in the sweltering heat with no electricity over those two evenings in August, all the while we were trading energy out to neighboring states. And from the experts that we've interviewed in our research, they said that these exports were by far the main cause of the rolling blackouts, but also that they could have been prevented. I think this point is, you know, going to surprise a lot of people listening, this idea that we were exporting power out to other states when we were in the middle of our own rolling blackouts here in California. How was that allowed to happen? Well, in the joint report that the grid manager, Kaiso, the CPUC, and the California Energy Commission sent to the governor's office, they put the blame partly on one of the components of our energy market design, something called convergence bidding. And I can picture our listeners kind of tuning out (laughs) when they hear the phrase convergence bidding. But Dominic is here to rescue us and explain what convergence bidding is. Help us out, Dominic. (laughs) Well, I will certainly try. So convergence bidding is a virtual trading system. In plain English, it's supposed to fill the gap between what we think we're going to need a day ahead of time and what we actually need the day of. And traders are actually an active part of this, right? Yeah. uh, Traders make bids based on how much they think we'll need. And when they're right, they make money. This whole thing prevents power plants from having to take on financial risk by overcommitting electricity, or on the other hand, can signal to the utility company that there is more demand for energy than was previously expected. So last year, something went wrong, and changes that Kaiso had made to this trading system hid the fact that there wasn't enough physical supply to serve California. And so exports continued even though we needed that supply here. What they thought was an improvement to the system ended up being a flaw. Yeah, and so Kaiso boiled all of this down in their post-mortem report as like a computational error, kind of like a software glitch. So is this going to happen again? I mean, is this problem fixed? Kind of. Kaiso is changing how it decides who will be the first to receive energy during an emergency. So some of the exports that we sent out last summer would stay in the state this time around. But zooming out from the state level, when there's a heat wave, energy is in short supply in multiple states in the West. And since California essentially rents out its grid to other states to help move power between them, you know, this causes congestion on the lines. So there is a debate between state regulators at the CPUC and CAISO about what should happen on the regional level what role California should play in the West when there's not enough power to go around? And should it be lending space on its lines to other states when there's an energy crunch happening here? 
those are the issues being debated. Well, so, but shouldn't California take priority? Well, state utility regulators say, yes, we should take priority. After all, California residents pay the cost to maintain those transmission lines. But Kaiso, the grid operator, thinks we should let our neighbors borrow our grid when they need it. And California actually does have a cap on what we charge for energy here. And this becomes really important during an energy crunch because some of our neighboring states don't have such a cap. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, pro-market people are suggesting that we lift the cap that Californians have on energy prices. Because if Arizona is willing to pay more than we are, then, then we're out of luck. Uh, so essentially what that means is that they're okay with the higher utility bills as long as the market is functioning the way that it's supposed to. So those are the pro-market people. What are the other experts out there saying about this? Well, others say it'd be crazy to lift a cap on energy prices here, especially after uh, what we saw this winter in Texas. But leaving prices out of it for a minute, there is consensus that we'll probably have enough power this summer. But skeptical voices see those fixes as band-aids. The PUC, for example, has given the okay to more fossil fuel burning resources. That's not an ideal fix, but it's something that they hope will get us through this summer without any power outages. All right, Joanna, Dominic, thank you both so much. Thanks. Thank you. That was Joanna Gardias and Dominic Moscatello, UC Berkeley students who took Steve Weissman's energy regulation course this spring at the Goldman School of Public Policy. My thanks to Steve for inviting me to guest lecture. Another hurdle to making sure the state has enough energy this summer is the drought, which has already depleted reservoirs holding water needed to run hydroelectric plants. More than 1,500 reservoirs are 50 percent lower than they should be at this time of the year. Officials are keeping a close eye on Lake Oroville in the north state. Water levels there could reach historic lows by late August. That could force state officials to shut down a major power plant for only the second time in history, putting pressure on an already strained power grid just as we're getting some of the hottest weather of the summer. And that is the California Report for this Monday, June 7th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Water heaters only. Specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured. Open 24 hours a day every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Thank you. 
Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.